Welcome back to Rock Band's podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Malaberti. This week on Beatles Part 12, we're talking about the breakup of the Beatles. This is, of course, the last episode where the Beatles are together. And in the next few weeks, I'm going to release some episodes about the Beatles' solo careers from 1970 until John Lennon's death in 1980. I'm also getting ready to announce what band I'll be covering in Season 2, which is coming up. So if you want to stay in the loop, make sure to subscribe to Rock Band's podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Rock Band's Podcast. And of course, share us on social media and with all of your rock and roll loving friends. All right, I bring you all The Beatles, part 12. Last week, I ended on a bit of a cliffhanger when I mentioned that John Lennon broke the news to the band that he was quitting in the September of 1969, just before Abbey Road was going to be released. Now, John had been thinking about this for a while. He felt constrained by the Beatles. He was also looking to make art more freely with other musicians and, of course, his new bride, Yoko Ono. A few weeks before his announcement, John was actually playing live really live for the first time since 1966. And it wasn't with the Beatles, it was with a new band he was forming called the Plastic Ono Band. In the summer of 1969, the 60s seemed to have come to a boiling point with these massive festivals like Woodstock in August, where artists like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, The Grateful Dead, and the band all played. Uh, You had the Isle of Wight Festival, where Dylan made his legendary stage comeback. These festivals were huge. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people attended. They were like small cities. And they were noteworthy because of their lack of violence, of course, until the Altamont Festival. Uh, But that's a different story for a different podcast. John and Yoko saw these festivals, these massive, peace-loving, hippie music festivals, as a dream come true. They felt like their bed-ins and their songs about peace had a real place in this new world. John was actually approached by the Woodstock organizers to see if the Beatles wanted to headline the concert, but apparently John told them that he wanted to play with the Plastic Ono Band instead, and nothing ever came of it. It's a shame. In September of 1969, John was asked by the organizers of a huge rock and roll festival in Toronto, Canada, if he would come to the festival and see Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Chicago, and The Doors, among a bunch of other artists, play at the Toronto Rock and Roll Festival. Well, John countered with an offer to not just attend, but actually play Uh, at the concert with his new band, the Plastic Ono Band, and it was, of course, accepted. It was pretty rushed. He agreed to play just a few days before the festival, and since the only official members of the Plastic Ono Band at this point were him and Yoko, he had to scrape together a band and fly over to Canada. John recruited guitarist Eric Clapton. George Harrison actually declined John's first invitation to join. Klaus Vorman came on uh, as a bass player, and Alan White joined the Plastic Ono Band to play drums. Once the band lineup was completed, they only had like two days to rehearse and go to Toronto. So they ended up playing through a few old rock and roll tunes on the plane and doing a really short rehearsal uh, at the venue. Now, when it got closer to showtime, 
John was really nervous to play, and apparently he threw up a couple times before the show. But when the band went on stage to an audience that was roaring and thrilled to see John Lennon in the flesh performing, John nervously announced to the crowd as he took the stage, quote, We're going to do numbers we know because we've never played together before. But here goes, and good luck, unquote. The band was rusty and raw, but pretty solid overall given the circumstances. They played covers like Dizzy Miss Lizzy, uh, Blue Suede Shoes, which were songs that the Beatles used to play at the Cavern Club. They also played some material uh, from John and Yoko's uh, repertoire like Cold Turkey and Give Peace a Chance. Cold Turkey was a new song that John wrote about withdrawing from heroin, and it features him playing a scorching lead guitar part and a pretty intense vocal performance. It was actually rejected, kind of, by the Beatles, who thought it was too dark and never really worked on it seriously. John wanted it to be a Beatles single, but they didn't see the potential. John had such a blast playing in Toronto, and for the first time on stage, the spotlight was on John Lennon, not the Beatles. Sure, Clapton was pretty big, though not huge in North America yet, but nobody could compare. No other artist, not Chuck Berry, not Jim Morrison, could compare to seeing John Lennon standing on that stage. It was huge. John was ecstatic to be around different musicians and to have uh, played a successful show with a new band with his name. Uh, And on the plane ride uh, back, he even told a few of the musicians that he was planning on leaving the Beatles and even asked them to start a new band with him. John said, quote, I told Eric Clapton and Klaus I was leaving and that I'd probably like to use them in a group. I hadn't decided how to do it, to have a permanent new group or what. So I announced it to myself and the people around me on the way to Toronto. Alan Klein came with me, and I told Alan that it was over, unquote. Now, Alan Klein's heart dropped. He had just secured the Beatles, and now John Lennon was going to end it? Not only that, but Klein had just made a crazy good deal for the Beatles and for himself uh, with the American record label Capital, where they would receive 25% of retail price, unheard of back then. Klein begged John not to tell anyone else, not Paul, not Ringo, especially not the press, that he was saying to people that he was leaving. Alan Klein said to John to wait until after the deal was signed, but really Alan Klein was just hoping John would drop it. Uh, Just a few days after returning to England, John couldn't contain himself, and this is when he broke the news to the band, telling them that he was, quote, leaving the group, unquote. He started off by telling Paul all the reasons why he didn't feel appreciated and how he had a problem with Paul's authoritarian streak. And Paul, who desperately wanted to keep the Beatles going, was telling John that he heard him and understood and that he was genuinely trying to bury the hatchet. Then, when Paul started discussing all the plans he had for the future, uh, and maybe even a return to the stage, that's, of course, when John said, quote, I think you're daft. I wasn't going to tell you until after we signed the Capitol deal, but I'm leaving the group, unquote. It was agreed that day that John would continue to wait to go public with his quitting the Beatles, and that nobody would say anything about this event in the press. Now, most people look to this moment on September 20th, 1969, as the moment the Beatles broke up. In some ways, they're right, but I think it's more complicated than that. I don't think that any of the Beatles thought it was genuinely over, not even John Lennon. Uh, There were eight months between this moment and the moment that the Beatles officially publicly announced their breakup. And all four Beatles did their own thing, but they also all collaborated. Ringo Starr, for example, was 
becoming a pretty serious alcoholic and growing increasingly fond of harder drugs, but he was sort of creating a career for himself in acting. And he was even working on a new album full of covers of the songs of his youth, kind of a tribute to his late mother. And he was working with George Martin to produce his first solo album. The album was to be called Sentimental Journey, and Ringo Starr said of his first solo album, quote, I was lost for a while. That's well documented. And I just thought all of those songs that I was brought up with, all the parties we'd had in Liverpool at our house and all the neighbors' houses, so I called George Martin and said, why don't we take a sentimental journey, unquote. John Lennon was recording songs with Yoko Ono and the Plastic Ono Band, continuing to do his avant-garde art. He released Cold Turkey in October of 1969, which was a hit for him. Uh, He even publicly returned his uh, MBE, which he had been awarded by the Queen of England in 1965. He returned it partly as a protest of the American war in Vietnam and and Britain's uh, support of that war, and partly as Lennon admitted a publicity stunt to help his single Cold Turkey, which was slipping in the charts. John also decided to release a recording of the Plastic Ono Band's performance at the Toronto Rock and Roll Festival as a live album in December of 1969. And John got the original lineup of the Plastic Ono Band, Clapton, Alan White, Klaus Vorman, and uh, along with George Harrison, Keith Moon of The Who, and a bunch of other players, all together to perform uh, a one-off performance in London to support the uh, selling of this new live album. There were tons of musicians on the stage, pretty legendary ones, but the performance was, you know, pretty terrible. Little rehearsal, too many guitars, Keith Moon's drumming just didn't make for a tight band. It was just too clustered, too messy, although everyone had a blast and the crowd loved it. Harrison and Lennon were still playing together, too. In early 1970, they collaborated on John Lennon's Instant Karma, uh, where George plays piano and electric guitar. This was another hit for John Lennon. During this period, in late 1969, early 1970, John was also starting scream therapy to help cope with his internalized childhood trauma. Uh, He was working with the psychologist Arthur Yanov. This therapy had a pretty profound impact on the lyrical and musical content of John's early solo work, which we'll talk about next episode. George Harrison was also making moves. He bought a huge monastery-turned-mansion called Friar Park, where he and Patty moved in early 1970. George has also, he also agreed to go on tour with Delaney and Bonnie, which was a band from the American South who were supporting Eric Clapton's new band, Blind Faith, on tour in 1969. Delaney and Bonnie were kind of like a country jam band. Uh, They sang a lot of gospel, a lot of soul, a lot of blues. And George had a great time playing with them. After a while, Eric Clapton joined Delaney and Bonnie too, playing with them every night before uh, his show with Blind Faith, and even hanging out with them instead of his other band. The Delaney and Bonnie tour was infamous for the partying and heavy drinking that occurred on the tour, and once again, George Harrison saw a group of musicians musicians that just had fun, no tension, no ego, just music and friends. George Harrison actually started playing slide guitar on this tour. One song, uh, he asked the band what he should do, because there was three guitars in this band, and they told him, why don't you play the slide riff? So they taught him the riff, and George was hooked. George was never like a blues player like Clapton or Keith Richards. His style was more laid back, soulful, sensitive, uh, song-driven, 
And the slide guitar finally gave him an outlet to really hone his guitar skills and give him a corner of the guitar world. Through his use of the slide, George Harrison really developed a trademark, unmistakable sound that in many ways would define the sound of his solo career. Keep in mind here that all these projects were happening during a time that the public didn't know that the Beatles had broken up. There was a pretty heavy speculation about their breakup in the press, although the release of Abbey Road really quieted all these rumors because the album felt so happy and it was like a rebirth for the band. It also is important to know that there was still a lot of Beatle work to be done that all four band members were kind of working on in some capacity. Uh, the band was releasing their film Let It Be about the Get Back sessions, and they were also deciding what to do with the tapes from the sessions. They all agreed to send the tapes to the American producer Phil Spector, who they all respected to some degree, who overhauled the album. Spector added strings to songs like Let It Be, The Long and Winding Road, I Me Mine, and his production style was completely different from the typical Beatles sound. In January of 1970, Paul, George, and Ringo actually got together in the recording studio and recorded George's I Me Mine, and they added some finishing touches to Paul's Let It Be, uh, like a new guitar solo from George. While John wasn't there, this was like a f uh, just a few months after John declared he was quitting the band, and it didn't really seem like George, Paul, and Ringo were taking John's departure as something permanent. I mean, they were still in the studio working together, starting you know, brand new songs. The final product of the album was called Let It Be, to be released in the spring of 1970. The band wasn't all that happy with the Phil Spector uh, album, though, you know, it had its moments. John didn't like uh, the new version of Across the Universe, and Paul hated what Spector did uh, with The Long and Winding Road. But it was at least a completed album, and they agreed to put it out. They didn't want to spend any more time working on Let It Be. In addition to their studio time, the band's public attitudes also didn't give much hint at their pending breakup. When asked about the Beatles' future, George Harrison said in early 1970, quote, We all have to sacrifice a little in order to gain something really big. And there is a big gain by recording together, I think musically and financially and spiritually. For the rest of the world, you know, I think that Beatles music is such a big sort of scene that I think it's the least we could do to sacrifice three months of the year, at least, just to do an album or two. I think it's very selfish if the Beatles don't record together. Everyone is trying to do his own album, and I am too, but after that, I'm ready to go back with the others, unquote. These are not the words of somebody who doesn't think the Beatles have a future. There's definitely a lot of you know, assumptions being made that the Beatles are going to get back together. Paul McCartney talks about it a couple years later. He looks back and he says, quote, For about three or four months, George, Ringo, and I rang each other to ask, Well, is this it then? It wasn't that the record company had dumped us. It was just a case of, we might, be, we might get back together soon. Nobody quite knew if it was one of John's little flings, or if maybe he was going to feel the pinch in a week's time and say, I was only kidding. I think John did kind of leave the door open. I think all of us expected we would come together again one day, unquote. Even John Lennon, the one who literally told the rest of the guys he was leaving, said in 1970, quote, I have no idea if the Beatles will work together again or not. I never really have. It was always open. If somebody didn't feel like it, that's it. It could be a rebirth or a death. We'll see what it is. It'll probably be a rebirth, unquote. Now, of course, it's a serious thing that John Lennon said he was going to quit the band in September of 1969. But I really believe that all four Beatles thought that they were going to be getting back together, uh, whether they were going to take a break or whether 
they were going to maybe wait a couple years or just get back to work again. I think that nobody really thought that they would never play together again. Now, I haven't really mentioned what Paul McCartney has been doing during this time, and that's because Paul is dead. No, I'm just kidding. But Paul did vanish from the public eye in 1969 and 1970, and this fueled the Paul is dead conspiracy. People really believe that Paul might be dead. In reality, he was just in Scotland with Linda and his kids. Now, Paul was a Beatle at heart. He wanted to keep it going, and he felt that they could. However, Paul was heartbroken that John and him had virtually no creative relationship anymore, uh, that it was replaced with like hate and jealousy and, and paranoia. Paul also felt alienated from Ringo and George and often felt like it was a three-on-one. Paul's opposition to Alan Klein definitely didn't help the situation, especially when it comes to the business. There was two financial camps. Uh, after a while, it began to dawn on Paul that the Beatles may actually be finished, and he felt like his friendship with the others, his brotherhood, and his band was gone. Paul was in a depression during this period, and he stayed holed up in Scotland, sad and angry. At one point, a few journalists came up to see if Paul was dead, because this was a genuine rumor, and a furious bearded Paul chased them off the property and told them to, quote, fuck off. After a while, Paul realized that it would be pretty bad PR if this was the image that people have of Paul, a crazy, drunk, bearded guy. So he ran back, he got the journalist, and he agreed to do a little photo shoot and an interview. Out of everyone, Paul liked being a Beatle the best. That was no secret. He didn't want it to end, like the way the others kind of did want to end. You know, they all had a long list of grievances about why the Beatles are, you know, overly uh, restrictive to their musical, uh, you know, ambitions. But Paul always wanted to have the Beatles as a vessel for his musical uh, ambitions. He didn't want to leave. He didn't really want to go and do a solo career. Uh, Paul said later of this moment, quote, I nearly had a breakdown. I suppose the hurt of it all and the disappointment and the sorrow of losing this great band, these great friends, I was going crazy. I wouldn't get up in the morning. And when I did get up, I wouldn't shave or bother with anything. And I'd reach for the whiskey, unquote. However, at Linda's urging, Paul gradually began to get himself together and think about life post-Beatles and making music post-Beatles. Paul started to write and arrange a bunch of songs and prepare a studio album. On this album, every instrument would be played by Paul. With the exception of some backing vocals sung by Linda, Paul is playing every single piano, guitar, bass, drum on the album. He included songs like Junk, the lovely Linda, Every Night, Teddy Boy, and of course the album's best track and one of Paul's best songs, Maybe I'm Amazed. Paul recorded the album at his home studio and at EMI and decided to name the album simply McCartney, set to be released in mid-April of 1970. When word got to the rest of the Beatles about Paul's new album, they were pretty unhappy, not because he was recording, they were all recording, but that his release date was around the same time the Beatles were releasing Let It Be and Ringo was releasing Sentimental Journey. John, George, and Ringo agreed to make Paul wait until the summer to release his album. Ringo Starr was actually sent over to Paul's to inform him that Apple would be deciding not to allow him to release his new album, which was kind of a bluff. Uh, and he caught Paul at the worst time. Paul unloaded on Ringo and ran him out of the house. Ringo, who was just kind of the messenger, not really wanting that kind of confrontation with his friend, returned and convinced George and John to just let it go and let Paul release it. 
this was kind of the last straw uh, for Paul. Paul now felt he was fully alienated from the band, and he was furious about it. And the rest of the band now had this war on Paul. They felt like Paul was screwing the Beatles album and Ringo's album by just deciding to release his solo album uh, the same week. Paul, who was always a gifted PR man, decided to take this opportunity to make a pretty big announcement. Paul worked with the Beatles publicist Derek Taylor to prepare a Q&A with Paul that would be released a few days before his McCartney album. In the printed Q&A, Paul talked about his creative process and the making of the album, but the real purpose was to get at what everybody wanted to know, what the press was endlessly speculating. What was the deal with the Beatles? The question at the end of the Q&A was simply, quote, are you planning a new album or single with the Beatles, unquote. To which Paul answered simply, no. Finally, someone come out and said it and presented the news that nobody wanted to hear. The Beatles were broken up. On April 10th, after receiving the word about the Q&A, the Daily Mirror ran a story on the front page with the headline, Paul is quitting the Beatles. Whatever breakup that was being hidden from the public for the past eight months was now out in the open, and it wasn't John who told the world that he was leaving the most cherished band in the world. It was Paul. The other Beatles were livid that Paul seemingly used this announcement of the Beatles' breakup to get publicity for his new album. John said, quote, Paul just did a great hype. I wanted to do it, and I should have done it. I thought, damn, shit, what a fool I was. I was a fool not to do it, not to do what Paul did which was use it to sell a record, unquote. In April of 1970, the world found out that the Beatles had broken up, officially putting an end to the 1960s. A lot has been said about why the Beatles broke up. Was it drugs, the egos, Yoko Ono, business, creative differences? Did the Beatles just grow up and move on? There isn't just one reason. It's a bunch of things. But one thing is for sure, no artist has ever been or is likely to ever be as popular and influential as the Beatles. And their breakup left a huge void in the music industry, but it also cleared the way for a new decade and generation of great rock and roll music. Sometime in the summer of 1969, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr stood in the same room together for the last time. They would never make any music uh, while the four of them were alive together. They all went on to have successful solo careers, but they would quickly learn just how hard it was to live in the shadow cast by the Beatles. Thank you so much for listening to Rock Band's podcast, Beatles Part 12. Now, I'm not going to say any final words on the Beatles legacy or anything right now, because the Beatles season isn't technically over. We still have some solo career episodes that I think you guys are going to love. But I do want to thank all of you for listening every week, for sharing on social media, uh, and just supporting Rock Band's podcast. You're the best. I really am, am so happy about the response. I'm so happy you all uh, love this. I love you all. So, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, listen to the Beatles as much as you can in the next week because we're going to move on to their solo careers, which are so fascinating. So don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Rock Bands Podcasts, and please share us on social media and with all of your rock and roll loving friends. All right, I'll see you all next time. <laughs>